Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the Cap Podcast, brought to you by the Corporate America Project. I'm Daniel, along with the greatest interim co-host, Matt Burke. How's it going, Matteo? Fantastic, Dan. You know, one time I think I might open this uh, podcast. You know, while I'm interim co-host. What do you think about that? I think. It's worth a shot. Let's do it one time. Maybe the next one. We'll see. Listen up. You'll find out, listeners. One time for the one time. Yep. Well, well, there you go. Matt, you know, Thanksgiving is fast approaching. Mm-hmm. Um, Every day. And we have lots to be thankful for. But before we get to what we're thankful for, we need to talk about what we did last night. Last night. Dan and I went out to dinner with some people in uh, Miami Beach to a nice restaurant called the Choto Mate. I probably didn't say that well, but that's how it's spelled, so that's how we're going to go with. It was fantastic. I'd recommend everyone to go there. However, though, Dan and I, we tried something uh, we hadn't tried ever before. I know. It was a cultural experience, a new experience, and I always say when it comes to food, and I draw the line at food, I'm willing to try everything once. Yeah, same. And we did. And we did. So we ordered, it was what, a Japanese, Peruvian-infused foods. Very interesting restaurant concept. You know, felt like a club. But Even better design on the interior. Oh, it was great. Fantastic. Would recommend. But it was like tapas style. And so we entrusted Matthew to select all of our, you know, shareable entrees. I don't even know what to call it. But point is, they botched a couple things. And not in a bad way, but they would bring us the wrong thing. And then just be like, oh, you guys can eat it anyway. And then they brought us the right thing later, which was dope. Great service. Yep, love that. But we happened to wander across some sea urchin sushi rolls. Now, I don't know about you, Matt. I had never even heard of people eating sea urchins before last night. Me neither. I thought it was poisonous or something like a lionfish. Yeah, like danger zone. But uh, no, they, you know, plated up some sea urchin sushi um, one of the people we were with was like, ah, I don't really like it. It's good, but I'm not, I'm not feeling it tonight. And so they were like, yeah, you guys want it? And me and Matt were like, got to try it once. Yeah, why not? But it was weird looking. It looked like a weird, it looked like a paste. It like, was a paste. It, oh, okay. it, it was like a paste, but it was like chewy and like fishy. Yeah. It was wild. So it ta- this is my opinion. It tasted good, but it felt like fishy mashed potatoes. It was like, but it was so chewy though, because it was like together that it wouldn't be like the potato, you know? I can't even like think of like a word. It's almost like there was like a nerd's rope without the crunch in there, like trying to like pull something <laughs> like that, like, what's the word? Like chewy, like together, like a candy I don't thing. even know. It, it was, was like surrounded by all the other crap. Yeah, it was wild. I I didn't not like it, but I don't think I'm going to yeah. order it again. Yeah, I, I would eat it again, but I wouldn't order it. Does that make sense? Like, if it's it's open, if it's there on the table, I'm down to try it again. But, yeah. like, I'm not going to be like, oh, sea urchin. Yeah, it was wild. That was that was wild. Let us know if you've had it before. Uh, that was definitely new. Yeah, I'd love to hear the if there's sea urchin fans out there. Because my eyes were open to the... <laughs> sea urchin yeah, eating community. Yeah, the community. <laughs> it's a fact. We're new members. Wow. All right, well, guys, we've got a great episode, you know. Got a solid episode, a Thanksgiving episode, one might say. So if you're working when this drops or you listen after Thanksgiving or you do some traveling, despite the CDC saying you shouldn't do that, we hope you enjoy. But we got a great interview, uh, interview with Devin Cox. Uh, he talks about recruiting and moving to New York City during COVID, so lots of interesting insights there. Um, so stick around for that. But 
Matt, the crux, the main topic of today's show. Hmm. Thanksgiving. So I'm just going to open the floor up to you. What are you thankful for, Matt? Well, I'm thankful for uh, my health. You know, every day that we are alive, we are blessed, uh, as they would say. Uh, My family, my friends around me, the beautiful winter Miami weather Mm. that's going on right now. Um, Really grateful to not be in uh, a cold place. Yep. And uh, I'm grateful, um, you know, just for life, you know, some days. Uh, Hopefully for normalcy soon uh, rather than later. How about you, Dan? Totally. Uh, I I mean, the the classic staples, I would agree with you. Family, friends, faith, um, football. Thankful for all those things. Football. Um, But I think what's been interesting for me is I'm thankful that Despite the circumstances, like this is the longest place I've lived since college. Oh, so being in Miami, super thankful for the the community I've found myself in, and the uh, people I've been able to spend time with. So that's definitely thankful. Didn't know I'd be living in Miami for over a year, but uh, we're coming up on that one year mark pretty soon in January, and no real signs of. Going to New York, that is that is the end goal. It's you know I remember when I told the world I was moving to New York. Funny, funny how that happens. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens next year. But just thankful for you know awesome experience in Miami so far. So when did you get here? January sixteenth, nineteenth, sixteenth. Like yeah. So we should throw you a party before lockdowns, I guess, right? Hmm? We should throw you a one year anniversary party before uh, you know they lock us down again. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. So plenty to be thankful for. COVID blowout party. COVID blowout party. COVID bust for Dan's one anniversary. One yep. anniversary. Miami Dan. That's an idea. Um, Matt, we're about to do a friendsgiving, mm-hmm. and I'm sure many folks will do various forms of friendsgiving um, over the next week or so. Um, do you enjoy friendsgiving? Do you think it's kind of overplayed and overhyped? What are your thoughts? Well. Wait for this. I have actually missed this Friendsgiving we're going to for the last two years due to other obligations. Mm-hmm. So this year, going on year three, I was like, okay, whatever the hell my schedule is, I'm going to clear it so that I make sure I'm there for these people who I care about, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I felt really bad missing it. I like it a lot. I've only been to one other Friendsgiving in my whole life besides this. The food was incredible. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I think it's it's almost more fun because... You know, people, I mean, obviously not myself, but, you know, people have, like, family drama over the holidays or something like that. Or, like, you know, there everyone's so relaxed. It's, like, friends and, like, you know, no one's going to, like, stir the pot or anything like that. It's going to be people eating, like, you know, drinking yeah. wine and things like that. Talking, good conversation. Vino. Yeah, vino. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to bring some pumpkin pot. No, no, carrot cake. My favorite. Carrot cake. Big fan. I can't find banana cream pie, but uh, I'm also gonna do maybe chicken parm bites, or you know, they might not hear this, but uh, Chick Fil A nuggets. You're wild. Yeah, I think about it. That's uh, good. What about you? You looking forward to it? Yeah, I like. I I have. I can't even. Did I do a friendsgiving? I'm trying to remember where I lived. I don't think <laughs> I've done a friendsgiving. Could have been Philly or Arizona. Yeah, I don't think I've done a friendsgiving, so it will be fun. I did. I don't know. What are you going to bring, Dan? I'm bringing some mac and cheese. So I like how this group was like, you know, we're going to eat Thanksgiving in like five days. Can we just bring like a potluck of just things we like to eat? So we'll have some Thanksgiving staples, but won't be overkill, Mm -hmm. you know, 
in a short period of time. So I'm stoked for that. Um, so I'm bringing mac and cheese and uh, maybe some cookies. You know, nice. We're heavy on the desserts at this group. That's Seems like it. Is there gonna be uh, any type of special things on your mac and cheese? A little herbs? No, not, nothing crazy. Nothing crazy on the seasoning, but our family's mac and cheese. Parmesan crusted. No, no, no. We put uh, Lay's potato chips on the top. No way. Yeah, so it's like crunch. Are you I, gonna do that? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's like. So I've had some with like breadcrumbs or Ritz crackers, but ours has Lay's potato chips. You get that crunch of the potato, and you get kind of that oil, that salt, and the salt's unbeatable. So people, truffle oil. No, 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 no. I can't. If it's not broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? <laughs> All no, right. No truffle oil. None of this new age. I still don't understand why truffles are so popular right now. It just drives me up it a wall. It good. Whatever. But yeah, so I'll be whipping up some mac and cheese. Got to you know make for twenty two. It's a heavy dose, but we'll we'll get it done. Two ovenfuls. Yeah, I'm. I was thinking that. about it. how am I going to bring it over? I'm about to like get my car and like drive it over to your apartment. And or or I can bring it all like assembled and just cook it in one of your people's apartments. Yeah, it's totally fair. You can come do that with us. Oh, actually, the one guy my roommate is doing ravioli. Ravioli is not in the oven. Really. No, you boil it in the pot. You got like 72 pieces, though. Yeah, big pot. All right, all right. You don't cook ravioli in the oven. We can figure that out. Ravioli's not in the oven. It can be. (laughs) No. All right, whatever. I'm not going to argue about this. I don't know enough about it. However, though, I do want to say something while I have the Thanksgiving topic online. Yes, yes, please. I am over turkey. Said it. I'm ready for the pork part. Like, not even ham, but I want, like, a roasted pork, maybe, or some ribs I've heard people have been doing lately. Just, like, come on. Turkey's not even that good. The only reason you eat it is because the stuffing was in it, so you eat the stuffing, or you pour mounds of gravy or mashed potato on it, or, like, corn. Like, no one's like, oh, yeah, the turkey's so good. Like I, after love, their third I bite. love the dark meat of turkey. I agree with you. After Thanksgiving, I do not like leftover turkey. Yeah. You eat the stuffing though, or anything else? Yeah, you eat the sides. Yeah, yeah. gravy, you crush the sides. But mashed potatoes are also not good reheated. But the casseroles are delicious. The, uh, the days after, like sweet potato casserole, green bean casserole, fire. You're gonna be like collard greens heated up's good too. Collard greens are not. If you like collard greens, please send us a DM because we I love need to know greens. who you are. I love collard greens. <sighs> Crazy collard greens with like barbecue pulled pork. Brisket. See, like barbecue, pulled pork, and brisket. What's going on? We need to add this to Thanksgiving. We're evolving. 2020, man. All right. All right. Turkey is over. Last thing, Matt. <laughs> last thing. Last thing. We'll do a, a draft. We'll do a draft of your top four favorite um, Thanksgiving items. Mm-hmm. We can maybe... It will do top four. Um, but it's going to be a snake draft. So do you want to be first or second? You can go first. You're going to take turkey. Not taking turkey. <laughs> All right, here we go. In the first draft, I'm taking mashed potatoes and gravy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Mashed potatoes and gravy? That's yeah, like it's the same thing. Uh, they go dude, together. Gravy's like its own thing. I was going to take that for my first bit. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> I was going to be like, all the gravy. You can't have any. <laughs> I'm taking mashed potatoes with gravy. All right, fair. Number fair. one pick. So is cheesy scalloped potatoes different? I mean, that's up for you to so decide. So potatoes. All right, potatoes I, and no, gravy I'm taking mashed potatoes and gravy. You can take scalloped potatoes right. if you want. I don't even need that right now. For my first pick in the first annual Cap Snake Draft Thanksgiving 2020, 
we select the ultimate number one desire of Thanksgiving, stuffing. <laughs> stuffing. Oh, oh, come on. You act like you, you, you're a fool. Stuffing I love the best. stuffing. I ate stuffing today. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt was like, guys, where can I get stuffing? And we're like, dude, at the grocery store in a box. And I did, and I went and I made it with chicken broth, and it was pretty dang good. There you go. All yeah. right, that was your first pick, stuffing. What's number two? My number two pick. Well, does it have to be traditional Thanksgiving? Cause like, yeah, traditional Thanksgiving. So I can't say pulled pork and brisket. No. What? Do you eat pulled pork and brisket? At I'm your hoping to. This that's Thanksgiving. future state. This Thanksgiving, I will. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this Thanksgiving, I will have pork. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. Change it up. Uh, um, my second item, you and mashed potatoes. I will go with mac and cheese. Boom. Off the board. Wow. Take that. Wow, you stole it. You yep, stole it from right me. Right you. Maybe I'll put some laser truffle oil on it. Huh? <laughs> uh, You're crazy. Um, for my third pick, I'm going to go green bean casserole. I mean, can't believe they even got picked. I'm a, I'm a big <laughs> fan of green bean casserole. And for my third pick, I'm going to take sweet potato casserole Ooh. with the marshmallow on top. Ooh. All right, that was pretty good. We're going to five, yeah? We can go to so five. So I got three and four, and then I'll end it? Yeah. All right, um, pick number three for Matt Burke, Cap, round three snake draft, 2020 Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to go, could this be a reach? I don't think so, but carrot cake. Oh my, who, who has carrot, what? That carrot cake is not a Thanksgiving food. Oh yeah, it is. Carrot cake is way better than pumpkin pie. That's sure, yes, but who eats uh, carrot cake oh, for I Thanksgiving? Eat carrot cake on Thanksgiving. What? All right. I like that. I like that. We got it down. We didn't. <laughs> he didn't even see it coming. Maybe we could have waited two rounds. <laughs> yeah, um, carrot cake was not going to be on my list. All right, number four. We're going to go with another sneak here. Reverse though. We're not going to do dessert. We're going to do appetizers. Charcuterie board. <laughs> Here we go. I guess Dan's never had an exotic Thanksgiving, I guess. Some people, you know, they like to think outside. I don't lines. even know how to spell charcuterie board. C-H-A-R-C-U-T-E-R-I-E. I'll look it up after for the graphic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the graphic. All right. Um, so I get fourth and fifth. I'm just all American. I'm going to go pumpkin pie and turkey just to round out the best draft ever. Eh, that's all right, I guess. <clears throat> So, wow. The final pick to decide the strength of the draft. Oh, actually, can I? Oh, shit. Uh, you got me. Oh, I think I know what you wanted. What? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with any type of corn variation. Corn variation? Corn overall. I love corn. That's good. I we did now that the draft is over. Uh-huh. We missed rolls, like crescent rolls Ooh, or like biscuits or something. We screwed up. Sliders. There. We screwed up there. So honorable mention is going to be rolls. Leftover Thanksgiving sandwiches the next day on That's Friday. What I'm saying. You're Tur- watching turkey gravy, like stuffing. You know what we didn't say? Cranberry sauce. That's because it's gross. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like, it's just kind of like a different taste to throw in when you've had too much of everything else. Yeah. Like, just like refreshes your palate, they would say. <sighs> I'm out on that. Yeah, me, me too. All right, I, I well, bite, though. well, we'll put it up a little graphic. Who had a better draft? It will be me. No uh, way. You put, you got carrot cake in the third round and decided to go corn in the fifth round. It's garbage. 
Corn is fire. Corn's fine. Yeah, but like any variation, you have to think like you're gonna put like corn on the cob on the graphic. No, and it's like all corn types of <laughs> subsidies. That's why I didn't pick a potato because you picked potato and, and gravy. You stole in the first round. I mean, you can't do two things. Stuffing gets gravy too. So does turkey. Yeah, I can't even do. Yeah, exactly. So what? You can just like take gravy. Gravy's its own thing. Gravy is number one besides stuffing on Thanksgiving. Besides mashed potatoes. For you. I wonder what the capitalists think. All right, we'll see. We'll see. Good stuff, Mateo. Good stuff. Well, we wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, a COVID-free Thanksgiving, a safe Thanksgiving, and a uh, enjoyable time for what we're thankful for. I think everyone's been through a lot this year, either on a personal level, a political level, a professional level. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, so take the time to be thankful um, for what you do have. I, I like the introspection in, in, involved with Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So, any closing thoughts, Matthew, on Thanksgiving? You know, it's uh, gonna be an interesting one this year. I'm, uh, you know, I'm gonna attempt to go over ten people, but uh, you know, doubtful uh, since it's not mine. But I just want to let the capitalists know out there that uh, we love you and we're thinking about you guys, and uh, we hope you have a fantastic and happy and safe Thanksgiving this year uh, with whatever rules you have to abide by Definitely. or don't, whatever. <laughs> Definitely. Let it ride. Well, all right. With that being said, we're going to jump straight into an awesome interview with our guest, Mr. Devin Cox. All right, guys. We have a very special guest today, uh, Mr. Devin Cox out of New York City. Devin, how's it going, my man? Good, good, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. This is a special, this is a special guest for me. Devin uh, may or may not have impacted my life and my career, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But Devin, just introduce yourself, just a little bit of your background and kind of uh, how we got to meet each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll trim up the boring stuff. But basically, I graduated from Penn State back in 2013, which is um, disappearing in the rearview mirror a little too fast. <laughs> I'm shy of 30. As uh, <laughs> I just turned 29, not even a month ago, but I'm here in New York City. I, I, I worked with Daniel for a, a number of years at our previous company, and, and now I'm out um, working as a um, engineering recruiter for a company called Bloomberg. But started off in engineering and, and architectural project management, kind of got out of there. Um, liked human resources a bit more because I like people inherently, and I like to talk, as I'm sure you guys will soon find <laughs> out. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to be here again. Thank you so much. Definitely happy to give you some insight into the recruiting world mm-hmm. or into how insane of a city New York is during COVID. <laughs> yeah, I love that. We will get to all those things. It's pretty funny. Uh, just going back to where Devin got, we might jump around a little bit, but Devin was one of the first people I actually talked to at Crown. Um, he was in charge of the recruiting for our program. And it just, I think he left me like a voicemail. I missed it. I was like, oh crap, like, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? But he let me know I got moved on to the uh, final round of interviews, which at the time I was uh, really struggling, you know, getting denied, <laughs> denied, denied. So Devin gave me that break and I haven't looked back, but excellent. here, here we are. Um, yeah, the rest is history. Exactly. So you alluded to it a little bit in kind of your your background, but I would love to hear kind of, you said you started with engineering, but you really loved people. How did that transformation from like a technical role or a technical degree move into recruiting? Like what did that look like for you? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And and to kind of take take a, uh, a step back and, and just kind of talk about the education. You know, engineering is is highly technical, of course. And to get a little bit more specific, I was in um, civil engineering, which I'm not sure on the spectrum how difficult that is compared to mechanical or nuclear. But um, I was I was pretty challenged, I guess you could say. And yeah. I noticed that during the curriculum, I um, I connected more with students on group projects, and I connected more with professors. I guess that was my skill rather than the actual technical work. So it was uh, it was quite frequent that I'd get a C on a test and then per, like somehow persuade my professor to give me a B minus. So I, I figured, <laughs> hey, I can talk to people. I think that might be my talent here. And Crown Castle had reached out to me while I was um, checking IDs at a bar <laughs> and uh, asked me if I wanted to work for a company called Crown Castle. And I was like, uh, literally anything is better than what I'm doing right now. Yeah, so yeah. I. Um, I moved out of State College, and um, which is Pennsylvania, uh, moved west towards Pittsburgh. And then I, I worked for Crown for, for quite some time. I'd say maybe two or three, maybe even four years. Yeah, four years as um, uh, kind of a, a structural analyst and an architectural project manager is what we called it back when that, when that role still existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that, hey, my whole thing was you know uh, project management. I liked really talking to people. I liked negotiating. And I liked um, really just kind of telling the Crown story. And yeah. so... Took a random shot in the dark, saw that there was a university relations um, position open, which I knew nothing about, did not coincide with any of my previous um, occupations and or expertise. But um, I, I think I won over the interview just because I had a good case study. And and hey, you know, any area of business, people are just looking for analytical thinkers that can, yeah. can implement a plan and stick to it. So I, I nailed it and then kind of made it my own. So um, then it just kind of... It, it, it blossomed into a really cool recruiting career. You know, I think mm-hmm. um, it, it's not as salesman-y now, but it was cool working for uh, a, I guess you could say a brand that wasn't a household name just yet. And yeah. so being able to sell people, just like I did for Daniel, sell people on the Crown experience um, was it was pretty awesome and it was eye-opening for me um, that I wanted to do it moving yeah, forward. Definitely. If I remember correctly, you kind of came in at the beginning there was really no university relations at crown and that kind of got to they had people had ideas but you kind of showed up and made it happen is that correct yeah yeah there was a university relations manager before me um but she had um essentially thrown me the keys, told me it pulled to the left and said, good luck on the road. And so <laughs> I, uh, I did get to make it my own. And it was great. There was a couple of partners with me. Um, talent acquisition for one was fantastic, but um, a gentleman, a fine gentleman and mentor, Dan Wolfgang, yes. uh, was essentially the, the, I guess, the foundation of support for me. So definitely gave me the tools to, to, to bring it up a notch, so to speak. That's awesome. So what were some of your favorite or least favorite parts of being a university relations manager? Yeah, I can. Oh, my gosh. Well, the old, the ones that I don't like still keep me up some sort of PTSD of the experience. And the one thing was, you know, we, we, we didn't necessarily have the budget, I guess you could say, to hire people under me. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I realized that there was a pretty wide spectrum of things that I'd be working on. It, it would be, you know, Tuesday, trying to pitch a strategy for the upcoming year to the CEO himself. And then mm-hmm. Wednesday, it would be ordering water bottles for an event uh, on campus in L.A. <laughs> when you're in Pennsylvania. So it was um, it was definitely, I think, the least my least favorite part about that, uh, which I would I would start with is 
that it was hard to be kind of the the pauper and the prince in the exact same role. Um, oh, yeah. And it, it, it definitely it, it humbled me a bit. You know, you can't go walking the halls saying, "Hey, I run this, I run this show around here, bub." When yeah. also you're you happen to be the person that interns answer to too. So you're um, definitely a mixed emotion there. But my favorite part of it all is 100% just seeing the people that you recruit. Uh, end up being really successful inside and outside of the office. You know, Definitely. for you, example, um, you for example, excuse me, um, just having this podcast, getting your your network is just branching out and blossoming into this beautiful thing. And just mm-hmm. knowing that I had a very small circumstantial part in that. If it was just yeah. to sell you a car, so to speak, then I'm glad that got to happen. And I don't think it would have if I wasn't in a position like I was. Definitely. No, it's. I mean, yeah, you had one of the coolest jobs from a face value, but there, like you said, so many dirty getting on your scrubbing on your hands and knees yes. things that had to go into it, right? And yes. most people saw the glam, right? They saw the big event, the big recruiting event, the fun, you know, selling the idea. But there's a <laughs> lot of you know grime that goes into building an event like that or the recruiting all over the country. So oh yeah, I, I, oh actually. Small benefit, and I have to say, this is probably my favorite thing of the entire experience, putting all of the events on my credit card and just <laughs> smashing my credit score every year. <laughs> and the, the points, the rewards. The points. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I think most of this apartment is furnished with old points from uh, from Crown Castle. <laughs> hey, I hear you, man. That's There's nothing better than that. There is nothing better than that. So Amen. talk... Talk a little bit about okay. You've had you've cut your teeth in the recruiting world. What kind of led you to a transition to a massive name brand company like Bloomberg? What did that kind of look like for you? And and is this something you've always wanted to you know get to New York or get to work for a company like Bloomberg? Like what did that look like? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, kind of taking it from the top, I think I never thought in a million years I'd be doing anything like this. You know, um, Crown offered me a really stable and exciting environment. I didn't have any plans on, on moving away from it. I did see that there was some opportunities in New York City, and secretly I've always kind of wanted to live here. Both of, um, well, actually my f- entire family is from New York City, so it was okay. kind of nice to, to reconnect with them. But, Definitely. you know, Texas, hey, I, I moved to Houston, Texas. I, I fell in love with the bright in uh, wide open skies and I thought that, that was going to be a forever home um, for at least maybe my 30s I guess you could say but mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah kind of threw my name in the hat I guess you could say as a, a lottery shot at a job at some big cool tech firm and I, I somehow made it through the interview process I guess a little imposter syndrome there but yeah now I guess speaking of imposter syndrome I, I went from you know a a small pond to this giant ocean, I guess you could yeah. say, where the the volume is is has grown exponentially compared to what I was used to. So, it is. Um, I, I use the word humbling quite often now in mm-hmm. in my experience because I think that. Now, I, I used to work with a ton of very smart people that were smart in a lot of different ways. I came to this company, these folks are smart in a, a lot of ways, don't get me wrong, but they are brilliant when it comes to recruiting. So it's been a huge opportunity for me to learn very quickly here, which I think I was yearning for as opposed to kind of designing my own yeah. way. Definitely. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? Going from uh, you're the lead, your ideas are what goes and you make them happen versus being not courted, that sounds kind of disrespectful, but like mentored and crafting someone else's vision who's excelled at the highest level or at a very high level, right? It's more of a mentorship. You get to learn as opposed to you get to forge the path. I think that's pretty cool too. 
Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. And and I was yearning for an opportunity too to take and express and exercise a lot of those muscles that I got in my previous role and just see, yeah. you know, how you, you can be the best lifter in town or at the gym by your bar. But if you get to the Olympics, you're going to see that there's a lot better technique out there. And totally. if you can learn by the best, you're going to be the best. That's awesome. That's a great way to look at it too, man. That is that is awesome. So you moved. Remind me the timeline. Was, was you transfer right after the first like COVID wave, or was it before? Oh man, yeah. So really good question. This was um, just adding a little bit of spice to the ingredient sauce of uh, 2020. So I had signed my offer with Bloomberg back in uh, I believe January or February of this year, so 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I signed my lease in New York City, um, you know, took the, the big gulp and said, whoa, you know, we're paying what for rent? And then yep. COVID hit and New York City shut down. So I actually had to stay in Houston, living in my current at the time apartment up mm-hmm. until July. So I was paying uh, two apartment rents for, uh, what is Jeez. that, six months, which was um, definitely sad to see most of my new salary going towards rent. <laughs> when you're <laughs> but, not even there, that's the exactly. Worst. Exactly, but I got to see pictures, right? Isn't that all that counts? <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. So let's let's talk about COVID and recruiting. Obviously, you can speak specifically about Bloomberg or the industry overall. I know you made a lot of awesome contacts, kind of just in the recruiting world um, from Crown. Um, but talk about <laughs> recruiting in the age of COVID. Have we flipped it on its head, or are some things still saying the same? No, I think um, I think it's a pretty good balance. I think there's a couple of nuances that um, hopefully we won't have to deal with too long. But in terms of the things that have stayed the same, it's really important no matter what that as a candidate. So kind of flipping the I guess the image here as a candidate, it's really important to still feel as though there's a need to stand out, right? Even more so now. I think what we're removing from the the interaction that you get on campus or as at a career fair or even at a job interview is that face-to-face kind of human organic relationship building you know Mm -hmm. Daniel and I'm sure you've been a a big part of interviews over the last few years you can connect with somebody in person far easier than you can over zoom or Skype or Google meets and that's just how it is you know humans like being in the same room as each other and so Mm -hmm. how have we kind of circumvented that that need to, to you know, recruit even though we're not having that human interaction. It's specifically been implementing kind of this pseudo organic uh, opportunity to, to connect in, in this virtual thing. So we have a lot yeah. of things like coffee chats and, and one-on-one sessions with folks that perhaps wouldn't have met on campus otherwise. It's been, I guess, the ROI on it has been pretty good. I think the time that we spend um, has been as good as, as possible, but some things have have definitely been a struggle. You know, in um, in recruit in the recruiting world overall, the culture of our generation and, and kind of the next generation, you know, wanting to just kind of spread your wings, fly across the country, and and, and uh, situate your life in a brand new city. It's it, yeah. romanticized, right? We, we've always done it. You specifically have been moving around the country um, quite literally for the last few years. Um, yep. That's not that's not the culture as much anymore. Now people can see what scary, anxiety-inducing things are awaiting us in reality, and so they want mm-hmm. to stay close to their family. So. A lot of our recruiting initiatives, and, and not just Bloomberg, but you know across the board, have been how do we convince folks that you know the stability is worth the move? How do you yep. get people out of their comfort zone, away from their families, and, and mm-hmm. still provide them a, a safe area to, to, to 
come to coexist. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We've actually seen in some of the recruiting we've done, even though very blatantly in the recruiting, you know, information, it's like rotational program. You will move in theory. <laughs> Like people are like, I don't know if I want a rotational program in co- in the age of COVID. Like that is a you're exactly right. The mindset is changing for people due to so much uncertainty. So that's that is an interesting factoid of just how you know sociology and how people are yes. kind of, of thinking, and we're kind of getting back towards the comforts. I know some yeah. people, my, myself included, and I think I won't speak for you, but I think this of you. It's like we're still in on the adventure, you know, like let oh, it ride. Yeah. But Absolutely. some folks are definitely kind of turning back into that living closer to home and being near comfort. I definitely see that. And and what you had just said really resonated with me specifically because I guess um, societally or sociologically speaking, um, we might see kind of a change in tide that that emulates some of our our parents or grandparents generationally uh, thinking. You know, um, this kind of small town um, existence, right? You know, you, mm-hmm. you've seen a lot of cities. You obviously see that some cities have this great diversity of thought. It's encompassing people from all around the world, if not all around mm-hmm. the nation. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, we might start to, I guess, uh, I guess regress back to the times where people kind of stayed in their hometowns because mm-hmm. you know fear of uh, some sort of like worldly agoraphobia. Uh, hopefully, it never gets to that point because I think yeah. that our cities should still be thriving with different people from all over. But mm-hmm. um, definitely, even just in New York City, I mean, everyone's reading about the mass exodus. You know, the flight back to the suburbs, the flight back to hometowns. Whether it's our generation or the generation above us, Gen X or uh, perhaps mm-hmm. Gen Z, everyone's flocking back to their hometowns, whether it's due to a financial reason, emotional or psychological um, or health issues, hopefully COVID is, you know, um, I guess reconciled soon enough where that doesn't have, I guess, a generational kind of think tank aftermath. Totally. It's wild. It's, we'll get to New York in a second. We'll get to New York. Oh, yeah. we'll, All right. we'll, we'll, we'll go down that, that sociology type of mindset because I'm super fascinated on what the rebirth of the new New York, you know, yes. lots of air quotes, lots of bad radio, but <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Um, do you think that this is might be, you know, might not be the easiest question to answer, but we'll let it fly anyway. Do you think recruiters are now more efficient or less efficient on a virtual setting um, due to the fact that there's less travel, there's less like, inef- there's some inefficiencies, don't get me wrong, but less inefficiencies, uh, not having to be try and be everywhere in person. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I'm going to come out and say, I think um, when it comes to the administrative stuff, I'm definitely more efficient than I've ever been. Uh, not having to do this in the terminal of an airport, uh, not having to do this in a you know hotel lobby, uh, mm-hmm. as I'm waiting to either get on campus or interview some students at you know some sort of convention center, definitely makes it a lot easier logistically. But um, I think we won't know until I guess the end of this year uh, how impactful recruiting strategies truly were. Right. So we can mm-hmm. say yes, it was easier logistically, but if the things that we did really focus on have no or little to no ROI, then we can say, well, despite us, you know, facilitating our schedule or facilitating some of the the headaches of our schedule as a recruiter, it it might not have had a positive impact overall on the recruiting experience and our, and our, I guess, our, our talent, um, our talent acquisition as a whole. But I think 
it's kind of give and take, right? So there is, of course, the like I had mentioned, the administrative or logistical stuff that is a headache for every recruiter, no matter what business or industry you're in. But also kind of the mental capacity, right? So I can spend an entire day, quite often, you know, the volume at this company is, is pretty high. So I could, you know, wake up at eight and start doing interviews and then end at like seven or eight o'clock at night. And mm-hmm. it's just back to back. And because it's virtual, you've kind of stopped building in breaks as you would, you know, to get yeah. lunch with your team and to get coffee at 10 mm-hmm. or whatever. So when you start removing those, you, you start to get burnt out a lot more. So yes, I'm more productive, but I think the the jury's out on whether or not it is sustainable for an actual recruiter on a day to day. Yeah, I, th- I think that's interesting, right? The, the human nature piece can disappear when you're not in an environment where you're engaging with other humans, right? You're yeah. still talking. You're still talking to ten people a day, but you're sitting at your desk in your New York City apartment. And if you didn't really force yourself to go outside, you might not. <laughs> you know, totally. Yeah. There, oh, that element. Complete transparency. There's been weeks where I, I go to the gym on Sunday, and then I am like, "Yeah, I'm sore." And then a Thursday rolls around. I'm like, "Have I? Did I go to the gym this week? Did, have I gone out anywhere this week? I, I haven't even gotten like halal from the the cart outside my building in the cart three days." <laughs> Dude, it's that's crazy. I I, I I say this a lot on the podcast, but I'll say it again. It's like we've transitioned from work from home to live at work. And it's, it's dangerous. Yes. It yeah. is dangerous. But, I mean, I mean, you get an email or you get something at 9 o'clock and you're like, I know the answer. And these guys are on the West Coast. Like, they might still work a couple hours. You know, it's like, yes. if I do it, like, I'm helping them. You know, it's like, ah, you know, like, I guess. I got yeah. teams on my phone. Just send them over. Totally, but, totally. No, I think, um, and it, it's industry to industry, right? I think. Like um, the finance industry, especially here in New York, they have a very, um, I guess, liquid schedule, right? So you'll you'll get emails and you'll have meetings all hours of the night, all hours of the morning. Um, but then for some of the more tech-based companies, they've tried to really establish, just from what I've seen. Of course, this is anecdotal, but the conversation yep. that I was, conversations that I've had with our engineering teams and quite a few um, folks from outside of my company maintaining kind of uh, I guess a low RPM of their employees and making sure nobody burns out because I think by nature the anxiety of COVID has let people use working as an outlet or an escape so that they yep. don't have to think about it so yep. what's the worst thing that can happen oh yeah you work until 10 o'clock every night and then you're not anxious but of course it's impeding on your actual waking life and then mm-hmm. that has an onslaught of different types of psychological problems over a long period mm-hmm. oh for sure I mean it's it's crazy. We're it's, this this whole 2020 experience is going to be fascinating for historians, for sociologists, for psychologists. Like this is this like what's the effect on the little kids not going to school, right? New York City yeah. schools just shut down. Like what's that effect? What's the effect on the parents, you know, the woman working, mother working mothers? Like what's their impact? Like it's crazy. It's crazy. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited in 2030 when we get to start reading books about this and educating our kids like, uh, in their textbooks like I lived have through a... I lived yeah. through it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, I think um, I think that uh, it's also been a pretty great experience in, uh, or sorry, a, a pretty great lesson in how, um, let's say, selfish people can potentially be. Um, oh yeah. I I think that 
this has been a really eye-opening experience for the world in the sense that everyone has been yearning for some alien invasion for us to all finally come together as a species. But this alien invasion happened to just be a few microbes uh, and we still could not unify. We still couldn't find a way to overcome it together. So yeah. I think uh, hopefully faith in humanity globally hasn't completely diminished, but I think that this was a, a, a definitely a huge indicator that we have some work to do as a, as a human species. Oh, for sure. Uh, last thing about kind of recruiting or Bloomberg or what do you kind of see, you know, as the future of recruiting? Do you think, you know, COVID goes away, vaccines, we're all good. We're going to have hybrid recruiting with lots of in-person, but using virtual better. We set up all these systems and tools or do you think we revert back to, hey, we were more efficient when we were there getting to rub shoulders with, with candidates and folks of that nature? Yeah, really good question. I've been thinking about this a lot. And to be quite honest, if I was in a position or if I owned a company, I'd, I'd, I'd probably start to offer a package that gave companies and individuals the right to choose, right? So regardless of whether or not COVID ends and the after effects ends shortly after, I think people will inherently still have anxieties about traveling and meeting in person and exposing themselves to this somewhat unknown territory. So mm -hmm. I think it'll be a hybridization of both, right? I think that companies that are large, that have a budget that can kind of keep sending people across country will probably continue to do so, especially yeah. some of the more traditional companies uh, in the finance and tech space, but mm -hmm. also we have to be more considerate now of the candidate experience. And if candidates for the next five years are still thinking, ooh, I learned how to interview virtually and that's what I'm comfortable with doing. That's how I perform well. Um, we have to really take that into consideration and be sensitive to it. You know, I think um, while I was just starting recruiting, um, the virtual experience was kind of just picking up with virtual mm -hmm. interviews and it wasn't really implemented because the entire feedback, I guess the a holistic view of the feedback that we had gotten was trending, you know, very bearish. People did not like that. People did not like the non-human connection, but mm -hmm. um, I would assume that a year from now, people are going to get so accustomed to it that it's going to be weird to be in person and perhaps um, a little bit more anxiety inducing and, and leading to uh, you know worse performance in interviews yeah the, the reverse you know the reverse flip of we've we've accustomed ourselves to a certain way we're not going back I don't know I that that scares me from a sense of in business you work with people you know so like if you can't have that in person because it's uncomfortable or harder like totally. that scares me but at the same time society we are moving to a lot more individualized computer focused and there's nothing wrong with that people are designed that way they have certain personalities but there's like a fine line for for me in my opinion of like geez like if we go too far this way or too far this way that's that I could, it will potentially create more negative consequences i guess that's oh yeah I, I completely agree too and right you just like you had said the needle was so far in one direction um, and now it's far too, you know, in the opposite. And so now we kind of need time to tell where it's going to fall in the middle. And I'm, I'm hopeful. And so yeah. what may start out as that hybridization would probably lead more into in-person experience again, unless companies mm -hmm. decide kind of for the foreseeable future to be virtual. But I don't, yep. I don't see that happening. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I like that. Well, you lead the charge and you let us know. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I'll try, bud. I'll try. Uh, that's funny. All right, now the juice. I'm excited. This is more, you know, Devin outside of work 
talk yes. about the move during COVID. That was that's got to be juggling stuff like crazy. Moving to the city post crazy lockdown. <laughs> like, what was that all about, and how has that you know kind of transition into New York been? Yeah, yeah, really good question. I appreciate you asking me. Um, it's been it's been a wild ride, let me tell you. I think um, kind of living in Houston, Texas, right? So down south, hot weather uh, all year, of course. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the the attitude of the community was that COVID um, was a definite reality, but hey, everyone's telling us that it doesn't survive warm weather. So hey, let's be careful. Let's make sure that we're you know wearing our mask in public, but let's try not to let it um, you know conflict with some of our, our lifestyle um, things. I think over time and kind of like a pimple growing under the skin uh, mm-hmm. towards the move. So right around when July happened, that's when Houston was starting to see a pretty massive spike in cases. Mm-hmm. And so uh, slowly but surely, uh, Evie, my girlfriend and I were, were getting some pretty serious anxiety because it felt as though that we weren't really escaping uh, COVID to move somewhere safe because New York City at the time was also an epicenter. So it was kind of like, um, which hell do we choose to be yeah. a part of? Yeah. Um, hopefully the one where we're not paying two rents. So we kind of um, you know, picked up, picked our, picked ourselves up and said, hey, let's let's make the move now um, while things are still unknown and not quite clear uh, this yeah. way. Uh, we don't get locked in one situation that we're not comfortable with. So the, the move in itself, let me tell you, it was probably unlike an experience that I or hopefully the generations of kids and grandkids I have after that um, moving through states so we drove flying was out of the question right Um, I think there's probably nothing worse than being in an airport in July 2020 so we decided to um, drive I I hastily sold my car which I only had bought eight months prior and essentially had barely any payments on so i lost Mm -hmm. uh i think a total of 10 grand uh on that car just trying (laughs) to get rid of it because funny thing nobody wants to buy a mercedes during a pandemic (laughs) so who would have thought who would have thought that luxury cars weren't something people were yearning to buy um anyway so that happened took a huge hit and then um made our way to uh where was it? So we basically drive the same route every time. We go uh, a little bit east and a little bit north up to Pittsburgh and then far east to New York City. Uh, mm-hmm. In this particular instance, it was uh, pretty anxiety inducing. You know, we got to travel through state lines where COVID was either very, you know, a very prevalent entity in culture, meaning people were keeping their distance and not mm-hmm. using using their elbows to punch in their numbers at the ATM. Yeah, hey probably in retrospect how everyone should have been and then we crossed over to tennessee and at the time we saw people literally making out uh at a gas station so just kind of hey not to judge here but i think that 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 yeah that uh that that um that experience was was pretty weird you know there was a couple of stops along the way i believe in arkansas where we got kind of you know I guess side-eyed or, or, or stink-eyed because we were wearing masks at a restaurant or masks at mm-hmm. a rest stop. Mm-hmm. And um, that, it, it felt really weird because here we were, hey, we, we have got no better knowledge than anyone else. But I guess yeah. the, the the disregard to, to human health and kind of the ostracizing of us for just feeling like we needed to be a little bit more you know, empathetic with what's going on um, was strange. But we made it to New York City and, you know, I, I, I guess... 
to alleviate a lot of our concerns, everything seemed pretty normal when we got here. We, we mm. felt pretty lucky, you know, restaurants started opening back up, the nightlife started to pick back up. Of course, everything is outside, but the weather um, permitted, which was great. Mm-hmm. Now, we live in the financial district, actually, just about a street over from Wall Street, which has a lot of foot traffic. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been pretty amazing seeing this area of the city very empty, right? So. Mm-hmm. All, like I had mentioned, the halal carts and the Rite Aids and the Dwayne Reeds and all of those are still open and usually pretty crowded. But on the street, it's like this eerie quietness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very relaxing because it's it's almost like um, it, it, like your, your brain can't process the decades of information, uh, how New York City is the most hustling and bustling, you know, the, the most dangerous place on earth, so to speak, of course, anecdotal. Mm-hmm. And then while you're here, you see none of it, but you still see the architecture. You still feel the electricity yeah. and the views of the city. And you're like, wow, it's such conflicting emotions. It's, it's quite a place. It's, a, it's quite a paradox to be living in right now. Definitely. Dude, that's wild. I can't imagine. I, I mean, I've been there, and I'm sure you've been there plenty of times before when it's boom, 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 going, going, going. Oh, yeah. And you show up, and you're just like, what <laughs> is going on? Cause it hit, and I think, too, it, it hit New York so hard at the beginning that they have a very serious and healthy respect for dealing with it. Whereas yes. in other places, it's now hitting them as hard as it did there. And I, I'm interested to see, do people pick up the healthy respect for it after the fact? So. I mean, there's a reason why they always say things are fiction is always based in reality. You know, I think mm-hmm. uh, my girlfriend and I get to spend a lot of time together, of course, but we marathon probably every zombie and pandemic movie uh, in existence over the course of the last few months. And it's so funny because depending on the location that this zombie movie is, is set, it's almost always the news broadcasters going cases in New York City, cases in Philadelphia or Dallas, Texas or L.A. are spiking. And then they're in, you know, Saskatoon, New York, and they don't care. And they're like, eh, hey, it's just those people over there. We're going to be fine. And then, of course, mm-hmm. it hits their hometown and huge, you know, uh, chaos and, and fire and turmoil. And that's exactly how it hit this country. That's why fiction is always based in reality. And I think Definitely. emotionally, once you prepare yourself for that type of um, reality, I think it's okay. Um, and you know how to uh, deal with it, so to speak. Definitely. So last, last kind of thing thing I'll pose you with and I think we could maybe rant on this for far too long but what is your kind of what is your hypothesis for the future of the city right we did see a mass exodus but I don't people have short memories um, yes. so do we see kind of it going back to where it used to be I always maybe because I think I'm gonna move there still the plan fingers crossed but I see like a new group of people going to New York and making it new and I think there's a cool resurgence that is going to happen. Um, But what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question as well. I think that New York City heals very quickly. Um, Well, maybe quickly isn't the right word. I think, um, and ironically, there's sirens and an ambulance right behind me. It's crazy. New York City soundtrack. Yeah, I'm on the 20th floor, and the only two things I can hear are sirens and screaming still to this day. (laughs) Um, But that being said, I think that... um, what you had just said really hit the nail on the head. I think that there's gonna be a new type of culture here. I think that it's gonna be pretty beautiful. I think I give it three years for things to start to approach normalcy, right? This is a service industry hub. The part of the culture here, and the part of the reason why the city never sleeps is that we have the support, the foundation of the people 
that are okay with you know bartending until 4 a.m the people that are okay with you know following their dreams here and working part-time jobs in restaurants and bars that make the city what it is so that yeah. you know nine to fivers can have a great time and be enmeshed with that culture as well it's a really great um i guess symbiotic relationship so to speak i don't think it's going to get back to normal anytime soon but what you had said about people having a short memory you know it wasn't too long ago in our generation where we saw new york city having the greatest you know terrorist attack of, of american history on on yeah. our soil and so uh that was a different type of unlivable right new york was closed down um borders were so to speak closed down but also debris and fire and dust was it made the city completely in in, in Habitable. And so I think that um, over time, like you had said, just to reiterate, uh, there's going to be a new generation of people that come here and kind of plant their roots. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I consider myself um, pretty, uh, I guess, privy to what's going on to in the real estate market. And I think right now is probably the best time. I think January of next year is going to be the best time to get into New York City. You know, as long as... The same restrictions are steadfast and we're taking the pandemic seriously and people are um, you know, taking the precautions that we need to heal as a, as a city and community. Rent prices in real estate for buyers and renters alike are astronomically low. And there's indicators yeah. that people are catching on to this. Back in October of this year, so just you know, last month, I think there was maybe 33 points increase in, in, in rentals, uh, probably the best October season in a decade, right? So people are catching on that real estate's really mm -hmm. low here. And of course, a lot of stable companies are here and they are relocating their employees here. So um, you yourself, Daniel, you wanna live here, now might actually be the time to invest in some real estate here while it's astronomically low. New York will never stop being the capital of the world. It is New York yeah. City for a reason. Yeah, I agree with that. I I was talking with some buddies who are like, are you going to try and time your move? And it's like, well, no one can time anything, but my goal is to be there, you know, next summer-ish. It's like, I, I may not be at the bottom, but I'll be close enough to where it's like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're getting the deal. But Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I watch it decent. It was funny. When I first started looking, it was like, whoa, these are crazy. Who's paying three grand for a studio? Like, y'all are wild. And then I was like, oh, here it goes. If it makes you feel any better, I'm paying more than that for a very small studio. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but, but hear me out. I did sign my lease the week before COVID was, um, like, national news so if i had just waited just waited a little bit i could have gotten a probably 75 percent discount of course that's how the stars aligned that's the way that my life is uh, the trajectory has led me um but it was definitely a learning lesson in it's okay to hesitate when it comes to making incredibly huge financial decisions <laughs> that's hilarious hey, at least you can say it with a smile on your face Devin. i love that oh totally totally and you know you and I are both very fortunate. I think that you know, given how detrimental this this pandemic and the I guess the economic qualms that have followed, uh, I think you and totally. I have both been very fortunate in this regard. Even to just be talking about you know renting a new place in New York City um, when totally. so many people are are struggling. I think uh, it, it's it's good to identify the opportunity, but it's also good to identify that you know we're, we're very fortunate in the situation. 100%. Plenty to be thankful for coming up around this Thanksgiving. So I, yes. I hear that. 
I hear that. Well, Devin, this has been a pleasure, a blast, and uh, maybe one day, fingers crossed, I'll get there soon and we can uh, have this over beer, you know? Yes, yeah, well, actually, right, right from my window, I can see this tiny little shop that does bottomless mimosas for 90 minutes for 20 bucks, so I'll meet you there. All right, sounds good, sir. Devin, thank you again, man, for sharing. Uh, it was a real pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. It's been a pleasure.